Listening to the sermon podcast from Real Life on the Palouse, reaching the world for Jesus, one person at a time. My name is Josh Gregg. It's the privilege of being the lead servant. Hello to all of you fabulous folks that are joining us online. You are as much of our family as anybody else. Thank you so much for uh, choosing to connect with us uh, online. And uh, you are not forgotten. You are seen. You are heard. You are loved, and you matter. So thank you so very much for joining us online. Um, I am super excited about where we're going. We just came off this amazing high of Easter and uh, Resurrection Sunday where we talked about the resurrected Lord and what does that mean in our life and do you believe it? Do you believe it? Does it matter to you? How does it matter? And now it's like the action part. And I love application and action of the scriptures. And that's just kind of how I was built a little bit. And so I'm excited that we're going to spend a while. I don't even have a deadline when we're going to finish this. We're going to finish this when we're done. Okay, and we're going to dive in to first, uh, first to the letters for a while, lots of letters for a while, but we're going to be in first Corinthians and we're going to move to, what would we do after first Corinthians? What do you guys think? Hey, all right, second Corinthians, right? And so we're going to spend some time diving into this and see that maybe there might possibly be something that that church was struggling with that maybe our world or church is struggling with and see if God's letter to these real people in a real place at a real time matters to us. So say it with me. Real people at a real place at a real time. This is not hyperbole. This is not some, this is, this is like a, a, a heartfelt letters. And we don't have all of the letters. We have a couple of them, but he alludes to some letters. We don't even have them. So we don't have all of the conversation, but God fills that in for us through the Holy Spirit and then to give us wisdom and guidance as we go through this. So let's, let's dive into this. Real people, real place, at a real time. So Paul visits Corinth when he's about in his 50s. Now, who is Paul? I want you to think about today. I want us to get into the mindset of Paul as he enters Corinth. And we're going to just dive into his mindset of what he possibly could have been feeling and thinking at that time. I think we have some clues from the scriptures before that. And we want to dive in. I want like this, if we could smell Paul, I don't know if he would smell good or not, but I want you to be like, I get it. Like it's deep. Like I can feel what he's possibly feeling. I want it to be immersed in your skin. I want you to be immersed in Corinth. I want you to have a vivid, clear picture of what this place was like and why this person would go there and what does it mean to him? So the author of many of our uh, New Testament scriptures is Paul of Tarsus, also known as St. Paul. So Paul moved from being an awesome persecutor of Christians to converting Jews and Gentiles to Christianity. And his conversion starts uh, on the road to Damascus. This is not in your notes, but it is in your Bible, which I have one here. You might find it on page uh, 1887 if you have my Bible, but outside of that, it would be under Acts chapter 9. And Saul's conversion. Meanwhile, Saul was uh, still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for the letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any who belonged to the way, whether they be men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem, those mean, horrible Christians. He would take you as a prisoner. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. 
he fell to the ground. And he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city. You will be told what you must do. Here is our hero. Before that, there were coats laid at his feet at the stoning of Stephen. And he would be like, yeah, woo, kill that Christian. This is Paul. Paul had a first-class education. If he were in the NBA draft this year, he'd be Jalen Suggs. He'd be a top-five lottery pick. This is a big, big deal. He would have been a guy that you'd been like Harvard, Stanford, Princeton, Yale. He would be like, woohoo! In his day, he was a, he actually got to sit and train and was mentored by the great uh, Gamaliel. Excuse me, dang, I practiced this so many times too, uh, Gamaliel. And uh, he, 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 that would be like, you got to be coached by Michael Jordan. Whatever your profession is, pick the best person in your profession, the biggest, the best, and that was like, he picked you to be uh, somebody he would mentor and coach. He was a uh, Jew and a Roman citizen. His education was so powerful, it'd be like in the Top Gun movie, where they go to the Top Gun place and they're like, well, who's here? He's like, the best of the best. Top Gun fans, no? Okay. The best of the best. That's who's here. And he would be the best of the best. He survived assassination attempts. He had an occupation. He was a tent maker, and he did this throughout his ministry. I heard Paul described as this. A man with a Hebrew heart. He understood the text so well. He was so well-versed in the text. You could just, boom, Deuteronomy 7.5. He'd, boom, there, got it. He understood the Torah. He had a Greek tongue to communicate God's message throughout the world. He could, he could communicate it all, to different, different people. And he had a Roman mind structured for organization of how to expand the gospel. The cool thing about, uh, about the, the very gift that Paul had by being a Roman, and here's a really cool thing, when they killed him, Paul was put to death by, by orders from the emperor Nero in Rome in 67 AD. But since he was a Roman citizen, he got to be put to death by having his head cut off with a sword instead of being crucified. Benefits? Crucifix, crucifixion would have been way worse. So I want you to think about the mindset of Paul as he's entering Corinth. Come with me on this journey as we think about Paul and where would his mind be as he is uh, entering Corinth. So here's what happened. Uh, in Acts 17, before we're going to get to Corinth, this might have been the worst time in Paul's life. Like we all see it like this, yeah, you just, just bulletproof. He was not bulletproof. So he's at Philippi. And basically what happens is he messes with this guy's income because this person uh, had, uh, had a demon spirit in him. And so he messed with this guy's, guy's uh, income by casting out the de- demon spirit out of this gal. And they didn't like it at all. You mess with somebody's wife, no good. You mess with somebody's money, no good, even in their time. 
And so in, uh, in uh, Acts 17, verse uh, 22, it says the, the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods, and they had been severely flogged and were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Their feet were in stocks. This was a bad deal, right? So he gets severely beaten and flogged, probably beat up bad and limping and bruised. Then we know what happens, how he gets out of that. If you, if you don't know, read your text, Acts 16, 16 17. And then his next city is Thessalonica, and he is certain to have a good role in Thessalonica. Uh, Paul is preaching Jesus as Messiah. Some believed, but others were jealous. And so they formed a mob and started a riot. Do you see a pattern? Paul's family is arrested, his closest friends with whom he uh, ministers with, and Paul is sent away to Berea. So Paul enters the more nobly-minded people of Berea, and they are willing to examine Scripture, and many believed and finally, he's in an ideal situation as a pastor and a teacher. You've got students who are actually willing to learn, and things are going good. But these Jews from Thessalonica chased him down. And they chased him down, and they heard what was happening, and they continued after him. You will not convert people from our faith. And so the believers, the people he was mentoring and, and caring for and teaching, they sent him away alone. And so now we're on this Paul's this second missionary journey. And so he is working his way over through uh, to, to Corinth and Athens. And you're going to see a, a little closer map on this. But he goes into the city called Athens, still there today in Greece. It's a city when he arrives with 500 years of deeply philosophical discussions. They had places for just philosophical discussions. Maybe you might have heard of some of these names. Plato. Socrates, this is their home. This is their city. And Paul goes in there and he goes nose to nose with them. He uses their own philosophy and they're like, interesting. But he only has a few converts. You know the book, uh, First and Second Athens? We don't have a book called First and Second Athens, do we? Right? That did not go well. And so here's Paul, alone, beaten, bruised, probably not feeling like a giant winner. And he goes and he takes this trip from Athens, about 48 kilometers, 50 kilometers, comes over to the city called Corinth. So you see Athens, Corinth, if you kind of worked around here all the way over here in the sea, you'd have uh, Israel way down here. So you can see on the lower map right here where he is, how far he is away from Jerusalem, how far he is away from the Holy Land, right? And so here he is spreading God's word. And now he enters Corinth. In 44 BC, the emperor Julius Caesar gave Corinth the status of being a Roman colony, meaning it was an outpost. It was a powerful city of Rome. If you could combine Las Vegas and San Francisco and smush them together, that's what I want you to think about with Corinth. It's Las Vegas and San Francisco smushed together. A port city, water, all the other good stuff that comes with it, uh, wealth, all that stuff, and it's Las Vegas called Sin City. That is Corinth. 
So being a port city, it was a commercial center and uh, making it wealthy and powerful. Corinth was populated by slaves. Um, not highly regarded, but they could get pretty rich. Known as one of the most decadent cities in the Roman world. He enters this city and there were up to 10,000 religious prostitutes there. 10,000 people trading sex for, 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 for gifts in the name of their religions. This would be a road. This was a, uh, near the Agora where you would walk in. This is the ruins of it. And uh, this is the marketplace. This is where Paul might have walked in. The next picture is uh, as a picture of a, of a kind of a, 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 I don't know, a room, a, a, an alcove in a sense, where he, that's where he would maybe do his tent making. And so this is kind of the, the city center. This is what's happening in Corinth. The word Corinth was often used as a derogatory slur. In those days, to Corinth meant to hook up. Meant to, to fornicate. Meant to have, hey, oh, let's go Corinth. That's not good. In a Greek play, if there was an actor portraying a drunkard, you knew he was a Corinthian. The people of Corinth would have felt very comfortable in Las Vegas and San Francisco if you smashed them together. That would have been home for them. Now I'm not saying, you know, Las Vegas is horrible, but it's a little loose, right? This is the city that God sends Paul into. Let's take a look at a couple more things here in the city. Uh, because it was a port city, you'd have, the, they, they carved this trough. There's an old ancient road here. We'll get to that one. Did I already skip that? An old ancient road here. And they would drag ships and cargo through this. They found it. They would drag ships and cargo through this and it would cross all the way over so they could kind of cut off about 700 kilometers of sailing around some very dangerous uh, coasts in the, in, the, in the sea there. And so they cut this off, and there's still a a canal there today, but it's kind of useless for our bigger ships. It's about 75 feet wide, and it's not deep enough uh, for the bigger ships, but little little ships can go through there. But this was a port city of things that could happen there. Uh, It also has this reputation for loose living, and part of that uh, was part of their religious worship. So to act like a Corinthian meant to practice fornication. A Corinthian companion meant a prostitute. Sexual morality was permitted under widely popular uh, worship of Aphrodite. So at the very top of this hill up here, you see some little outcroppings, but it would have been uh, the temple to Aphrodites. You know the word aphrodisiac, right? Something that you would take to uh, move forward in that, uh, that venture came from Aphrodite's. So you could see that from miles and miles and miles and miles away. Have I, am I painting how awesome Corinth, Corinthian would be or to be in Corinth would be? You would see that way up there. Uh, this temple here is the temple to, I think that's Apollos, the god of, of, of music and, le- and luxury and those things. This next temple, that's Octavia. There's all these temples all over Corinth. There's all of these gods everywhere that people are worshiping here in Corinth. And this is where Paul arrives, beaten, bruised, battered, banged up, emotionally, physically, he gets there. So he's recovering from this. You even see it in the text in 1 Corinthians uh, 2 and 3. It says, I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. 
Well, why did he come in weakness with great fear and trembling? What happened to him before that? He got his tail kicked. 2 Corinthians 1.8 says, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. What is Paul's mindset as he enters Corinth? He's beat up, he's beat down, he's almost out. And it's here that Paul brings him encouragement and reinforcements when Paul needs it the most. Community in the times of great trouble. So let's go to our text that's in your notes finally and take a look at this as we see what Paul's first ministry is as he comes here to this, this first time that he's in Corinth. So join with me if you would. First Corinthians. After this, Paul left Athens. Why did he leave Athens? Didn't go great. And he went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, and he had recently, uh, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Claudius was frustrated with what they were doing and kicked all the Jews out of Rome, so they had to go somewhere. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogues, in a synagogue trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. So he went and did a job and was healing. And how was God healing him? God was giving him community. God gave him other believers. He gave him partners. He gave him running mates in life. Do you have running mates in your life? When you're at the bottom, who do you go to? What does it look like? When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, reinforcements arrived. Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was Messiah. But when they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent of it. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. I tried to show you the way and the truth and the light that I understand, and you don't want it. So he went to the Gentiles. That's us. Woo! Yeah. Yeah. Then Paul left the synagogues and went next door to the house of Titius Justus and uh, a worshiper of God. Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord. And many of uh, the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. The synagogue leader came to the Lord. That is so cool. One night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. And he said this. So Paul's motive operandi, what he typically did is he was at a place for two or three or four weeks and he was gone. He was gone. God spoke to Paul and said, hold on. We have some work to do here. He said, do not be afraid. Well, why would Paul have been afraid? He had a rough go. <laughs> Keep on speaking and do not be silent. Well, what happened when he kept on speaking and wasn't silent in these other places? He was chased out of there, beaten, flogged. For I am with you. And no one is going to attack you or harm you because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half teaching them the word of God. While uh, Galileo was uh, proconsul of Achaia, the Jews of Corinth made a united attack on Paul. They're going to get him. We're going to get him. He is converting lots of people. They, they said that Jesus, what he's saying that Jesus was Messiah. He's not Messiah. He didn't destroy Rome. 
He didn't bring us victory for all of the horrible things that had happened to us. How could he be Messiah? You are preaching a false gospel. We're going to get you again. This man, they charged, is persuading the people to worship God in ways that are contrary to the law. Just as Paul was about to defend himself, he didn't need to. Galileo said to them, if you Jews were making a complaint about some misdemeanor or serious crime, it would be reasonable for me to listen to you. But since it involves a question about words and names of your own law, settle the matter yourselves. I will not be judge of such things. So he drove them off. Get out of here. Shoo, shoo. Then the crowd there turned on Sosthenes, the synagogue leader, and beat him in front of the proconsul. and Galileo showed no concern whatsoever. The attackers got attacked. So God gives Paul fellow workers, Aquila and Priscilla. He brings reinforcements. Silas and Timothy, his band of brothers or your band of brothers or sisters, where are your reinforcements? Do you have reinforcements? Paul is refreshed and begins to hone his message and teach that Jesus is Messiah. He's back in the game. And when he faces opposition, he shakes his clothes off and moves on to the Gentiles. And this time he does not despair. Takes the synagogue leader with him. I love it in Acts 9, 11, or what we just read there, is Jesus shows up and brings a promise. Do not be afraid. I am with you. Stay here. Keep on speaking. Think of what that would mean to hear these words of promise from God to you. Keep doing what you're doing. I got you. It's interesting. Paul is under God's protection. His ministry flourishes. I want to tell you guys a personal story. I am no Paul. I am nowhere near Paul. I would not have been drafted. I would not have been a lottery pick. I would have been the the non. uh, That would have been the Tom Brady pick of uh, that draft. The very last person, maybe. See, I heard uh, uh, God's call on my heart in August of 2009, I believe my, my, my running mate, my band of brother, Adam McKeldry would be able to tell you more accurately because we were sitting at McDonald's in Lolo, Montana. And I said, Adam, I think that I'm supposed to go into full-time ministry and leave my awesome insurance career. And he wrote it down in his Bible that, that I said, yes. And it was 10 or, 10 or 11 months later, I don't know, it was, it was a while later, um, that I entered into full-time paid-ish ministry. And, uh, and I was pretty excited. Now think about this. I was just going into the sweet spot of my insurance career in year number 10. That's when it gets really good fiscally. You kind of are in a real good groove at that point in time. I have three kids a wife who's a stay-at-home mom. We cleared off all our debts except for a house. I had a dog that didn't bark very much. Praise the Lord. Oh, I miss my dog. Her name was Miss. She was a chocolate lab. She was great. She didn't bark at everything like my new dog does. Man. Um, 
And so my mission at this church that we had, I've been serving and leading in life groups and helping folks develop life groups, like I just who I was and what I was doing. And so when I call, got called into ministry, my mission was to launch a campus on the north side of Missoula for this church called Meadowview. And so I was launching a new campus. So I, wasn't, I was the leader of that campus, but I was underneath the leadership of, at the south campus. And this is a brand new campus. We met in the back of a furniture store, and on the side of us was a... Um, uh, gymnastics place. Our chairs were nasty and dirty from like the 60s and like kind of didn't want to sit on them. Um, and we started uh, in this little little place in the back there in September. My dates might be wrong, but I know we started in September. And uh, we started with probably 50, 60 people. And by that next February, we had 160 people that called this church home so this is like five or six months. This is good. I know it's hard to believe in our church growth world over here where we're just like, oh, it's thousands of people. We had 160 people in five or six months, and the church was fully self-sustaining, meaning it could pay its own bills. It could pay its own utilities. It could pay for the one staff member, me. And that was in February. I remember it crystal clear. We had this great February uh, and 166 people. We had eight or nine life groups going. It was super cool. Things were happening. And then we closed the church on April 1st. Is anybody else like, wait a minute, that's not where I thought the story was going. (laughs) And there's a bunch more to that story, but I thought I was following God exactly the way I was supposed to follow him. And I felt I could see like these rewards along the way. I was like, yep, win, 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 win. Gone. What do I do? So I absolutely got my tail kicked. God brought me to here, to this place. I'm not going to talk about the ugly leadership things that had happened at that time, but he brought me here. I had all kinds of cool ideas of what I was going to do to avenge this thing that was taken from me, and God said, it's not your church, it's my church. You're going to go sit in a second chair for a while. I'm like, oh, where am I going to go? And so I came here. And I came here able to do my job as a life groups pastor. But I was beaten and broken and beat up really bad. And my band of brothers came and they started mentoring me and helping me. Aaron Couch, Michael Reyes, and Marty Solomon. And we started rebuilding this broken person. I was being rebuilt, uh, or should we say made, as Matthew 4.19 would say, come and follow me and I will make you. And sometimes being made is not very comfortable, is it? I will make you. And so I was being made. I didn't know what I was being made for. I never want, planned on being a senior pastor of a church. Wow, the life, group, life groups are awesome to be a life groups guy. That's a great spot. But you feel this calling, and as this God starts moving, and he brings these brothers and sisters and rebuilds people, and i got a long ways to go, but he says, stay the course. Find your band of brothers. Persecution will not stop. Dig your spiritual well. Dig your physical well. I kind of did. I'm still got to get back on that. Dig your community well before you are thirsty. And that's what we're doing here at this church. 
So what kind of situation are you facing today? Are you discouraged, disillusioned, perhaps feeling hopeless on occasion? If Paul were here, he would say, I understand. But he'd also tell you, he would also tell you about the refreshment of God. Offering helps you when things are at their bleakest. He would remind you that God's promise says he will never leave you and he will never forsake you. He would say, don't give up. He wouldn't say run to the easy situation. He would say stay in difficult situations. But Paul's steadfast trust in God, because of that, lives were changed. And because of your steadfast trust in God and doing what he's calling you to do, wherever your feet take you, lives are being changed. This is the God that we serve. This promise that he gave to Paul is the same for us today. So like Paul, center your life on God. Share the gospel with confidence and boldness. It's what we're called to do. And you share it through your life and how you live and how you treat and how you speak. People are watching, what does this Christian look like? Man, he's pretty rude on Facebook. I'm standing up for my rights. Okay, do it like Christ would. So let's remember, as we head to a time of communion, I want you to get your communion elements open. We have an open table at our church. How awesome is this? We celebrate communion every week here. And so if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, we ask that you would join us and take this. If you have aught against a brother or sister, you should go get that fixed before you take communion. You want to kind of clear the plate as you go to that. And so let's remember what Paul did as we enter communion, the reason and the purpose of why we have communion. We're talking about this resurrection, and we're going to go into some super awesome, cool stuff in Corinthians next week. Adam's got a great message prepared. We're going to start diving into the book and tearing it apart. You guys have homework on the bottom of your notes. What does your homework on the bottom of your notes say? What are you supposed to do? 1 Corinthians 1 and 2. What if you read 1 Corinthians 1 and 2? I'm going to challenge everyone in you here today. What if you read 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and 2 every day for the next six days? And as you approach that, ask for God to share with you in a mighty, mighty way what is he going to reveal to you. And let's see if God conjoins things and puts things together as we come here together next week and look at God's word powerfully, prepared in our hearts, prepared in our minds, singing hallelujah, God be praised. So, The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's remember Paul. Let's remember what Jesus did on the cross in a mighty way. Go ahead and take that. And the same way after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink of it and remember it to me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are going to proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Proclaim his death until he comes again. Father God, I am so excited about your word. I'm so excited for what you're going to share uh, with our church 
over this season as we dive in and, and study, study the text. We Haggah the text together. We devour it together. We become a church that is even just more people of the text than we've ever been before. That you draw us into reading your word and studying it. That you would unveil and open up the teachings that we might learn from what Paul's letter says to this church. That we would be able to see how it relates to us today, Father God. So I ask you to just open our hearts, create a desire for your word even deeper than we've had before. Let us follow you boldly as Paul did. Let me say this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us by visiting liferotp.com and connecting with us on Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, have a great week.